It is great to be back with you this morning uh, after a week away. If you have your Bibles, open those up to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be continuing our walk through the book of Genesis this morning, a sermon series we have called In the Beginning. Uh, we have thus far traveled from uh, creation itself all the way uh, to last time we were together, God's call of a man named Abram, who would later be Abraham. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at uh, a moment in Abram, Abram's uh, journey where he's not quite the man we're used to seeing. He's not the man that left home and country and everything he held dear in Genesis 12. And he's not the pillar of faith that we see in Genesis 22. In fact, you'll remember, uh, for those of you that come on Sunday nights, you'll remember that the first Sunday night I was here, I spoke on Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice that comes at the uh, end of Genesis 22, or comes at the beginning of Genesis 22. And I said at that time, if you want to understand what happens in Genesis 22... From God's perspective and Abraham's, you need to look at Genesis 15. Well, today, as promised, we are going to look at that and give context to that moment in the biblical story. Now, but before we get into our text together, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father God, thank you uh, for this time that we get to come into your word. Thank you for uh, recording for us in it the faith of Old Testament saints that we can look at uh, and see uh, their strengths, their weaknesses, but mostly their walk with you. And I pray that uh, Abram's walk, as we look at it this morning, will inform our walk. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see today the covenant that God is going to strike with Abraham uh, and how that is going to impact the rest of the book of Genesis, the rest of the Bible, and the rest of Abram's life. So let's begin with, by reading verses one and two to get, or verse 1 together. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. The first thing we see in Genesis 15 is Abram's faith. Abram's faith. And it's interesting. We tend to think of Abram because he is the father of the faithful. That's what we call him. Uh, we tend to think of him as sort of this stoic rock who nothing shook him and nothing could get to him. He was invincible. He was bulletproof. But look how the chapter starts with God coming to Abram in a vision and saying, do not be afraid. Well, that brings to mind the question, what, what was Abram Afraid of? What, what had happened that, that he had gone from a man secure in his faith to a man who was filled with fear? Well, look at the first two verses of the, of the chapter. It says, after this. You see, in order to understand where we start out in this chapter, we need to look at chapters 13 and 14. And we are going to read every single word. I'm just kidding. I'm going to summarize it for you. I also want to watch the NFL later today. Uh, but... Uh, what happens is, Abram gets this call to go to a land he's never seen by a God who has apparently never spoken to him, but in faith he sets out for that land. And he arrives there. And guess what happens as soon as he gets there? There's a famine in the land. And everyone is starving. So Abram says, alright, there's food in Egypt, we need to pack up and we need to go over there because there's food and not starving is better than starving. And so they arrive, but when they get there, Abram realizes that there is a problem. 
His wife Sarah is really, really good looking. She's also in her 70s at this point, so good for Sarah. But, uh, but, but she uh, is still really good looking. And so Abram tells her, look, if I go in here and tell these Egyptians that you're my wife, they are going to try to kill, they're going to kill me to get to you. So here's a good idea. Let's just tell them you're my sister. And that'll make it okay. Yeah, exactly. And so what happens is, is they go to Egypt, and sure enough, the Pharaoh of that time sees Sarah. She's very good looking for her age. And he decides he's going to marry her. You see the problem here. And so God sends sickness into Pharaoh's house because of this. Uh, Pharaoh finds out the truth. And believe it or not, Abram is the first recorded case in human history of someone getting deported. Pharaoh literally kicks Abram out of the country and tells him, go away. And so Abram goes back to Canaan and you would think life would settle down, but something happens. You see, Abram has this nephew named Lot. And Lot has his shepherds and his herds and Abram has his shepherds and his herds. And suddenly there's conflict within the family because Lot's people are fighting with Abram's people. And you would think that Lot, out of gratitude to his uncle who took him in when his father died and basically raised him, you would think that Lot would say, Uncle Abram, I will settle this, I'll... I'll calm my people down. Or you would think that if he came to, if it came to the point of separation, he would say, Uncle Abram, you just, you live wherever you want and I'll go whatever direction you don't go in. But instead, what happens is the ungrateful nephew says, well, I'll tell you what, Uncle Abram, I'll take my people and I'll go away. And, uh, well, thanks for giving me the first choice. Oh, well, I'm going to go over here where all the good things of the world seem to be, where there are literally greener pastures, and it's over here next to this city named Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure nothing bad could ever happen there. Uh, and I'm going to go live over there. You have fun living out in the desert. And if that wasn't enough, after that, the ungrateful nephew gets kidnapped by, some, by five different kings who come and attack Sodom and Gomorrah, and they take away Lot. And so now Abraham, after being told to go live in the desert by the ungrateful nephew, has to go rescue the ungrateful nephew from kidnappers. And in the process, he makes enemies out of these five kings. So, so let's sum it up in Southern Baptist style. What had happened to Abram since he received God's call? Uh, famine, Pharaoh, feuds, and fights. That's what had happened. And through it all, Abram's faith wanes. He started to say that he was faithful through it. You started to think I was going to say faithful through it all, right? No. You see, it's circumstances that are weighing on Abram's faith. From going without to problems without conflict with the Pharaoh, to problems in his own family. And I guarantee you, there weren't just problems with Lot. There were also problems in Abram's marriage. If you don't believe me, let's just think about this. He told his wife to lie and say that he was his sister. They got caught and got deported for it. Do you think that that was a long walk back to Canaan for Abram? Yeah, it was. And now he's got these enemies without. He's got these five kings out there who all remember him as the guy that came and whooped their tails one night in order to rescue his nephew. And all these circumstances have combined to wear Abram's faith to the breaking point. To wear it so thin that it's about to snap. And he's afraid. And the truth is, we can all end up in the same place, can't we? 
where the circumstances that come up in our worlds and in our lives affect our faith. Uh, Maybe we're like Abraham and we're going through a time of famine. Uh, Maybe the paychecks aren't as big as they once were. Maybe the business isn't doing as well as it did last year. Uh, Maybe we got one of those very polite letters in the mail this week that said, thank you for your years of service, but we want no more years of service from you. Have a nice life. And suddenly we've entered into a time of famine where we're going, God, are you going to provide? Do you care about our needs? Maybe like Abraham, our, tra- our, our problems are without. Maybe, maybe it's because of decisions we've made. Maybe we, like Abraham, when he made a stupid decision in Egypt, maybe we've made a stupid decision and the consequences of that have just haunted us and they've hung with us and there's shame and there's guilt and there's repercussions that we're dealing with. Uh, maybe like Abraham, uh, you have uh, a child in your family uh, who you raised and who you loved but who has wandered away from the Lord, who's seeking after the things of this world and you've prayed for them and you've hoped they would return and you've tried to speak wisdom into their lives but they won't have it or maybe your marriage looks like Abraham's and Sarah's often looked and there's arguing and people don't know how rough it is at home and fellas the truth is your wife is only holding on to you so she can get a better grip and all of these circumstances weigh on our faith trouble without trouble within maybe your problem is with someone that's in this room right now And the circumstances are wearing your faith to the breaking point. And you're afraid. But it's not just the circumstances that are weighing on Abram's faith. It's also time. Look what's happened. Verse 2, But Abram said, You would think that Abram, father of the faithful, pillar pillar that he was, would say, After hearing, I am your shield, I'm going to protect you, don't worry about the outside stuff. And I am your great reward. You would think that that would satisfy him. Hey Abram, here's an awesome praise chorus. Chris Tomlin will later write a song out of this and and you'll think he wrote it. Sorry, I'm just joking, I love Chris Tomlin, it's okay. But Abram said, this is verse 2, O sovereign Lord. Abram starts by saying, yeah God, I know you have the power to do this and I know you can. O sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus? You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Time was weighing on Abram's faith. Why? We said this when we started looking at Abram's call. Abram was 75 years old. When God called him. We don't know exactly when this event takes place. We know Isaac was born when Abraham was 100. So he's somewhere in between 75 and 100. Probably in his mid-80s at this point. Okay? And why is it that time is becoming a factor in Abram's mind? Well, first off, the Bible doesn't say this, but I kind of got a feeling that when God told Abram he was going to have a son, that he would have descendants, and, and there was this promise of a son that would come, I have a feeling that Abram probably waited about nine months. Um, in case you didn't know, in the Old Testament, it took about nine months for there to be a baby. Okay, just so you know. Uh, they, they teach us that in seminary. Um, and... Okay, anyway. Uh, But guess what happened at the end of nine months? No son. And then another nine months. And then another nine months. And then nine years. And then no son. And Abraham at 75 is thinking, you know, I don't know how much longer I have. and, And God, I don't know if you know how this works. But, where's my son? 
You can give me all the sheep, you can give me all the cattle, you can give me land that you promised to my descendants. That's all well and good, but God, what happens when I die, which is getting closer and closer and closer, uh, because the years, the days are just ticking off the calendar. And when I die, all that's going to go to Eleazar of Damascus, my servant. And the father of the faithful has gotten to the point where he's putting a finger in God's face and going, you haven't given me a son. You said you would. And Christian, sometimes doesn't time affect us the same way? When those circumstances come up, don't we wish God would just jump in immediately and fix them the first time we pray about them? Don't we work on our marriages and we go see the counselor and we sit down with the pastor and we try to make it work and we try to get the trust back and we try to make the hurt go away and we try to get the love back or the passion back or whatever it is that's fallen by the wayside and we've prayed over it and we've worked at it but it just doesn't seem to be working or maybe we've struggled with an illness chronic or otherwise, uh, and, and we've tried this medicine, we've tried that medicine, we've given it over to God, we've prayed for a cure and it just hasn't happened and we've had to live with this pain or this discomfort or whatever it is. Or we've prayed for God to, to change that person's heart who we have outside conflict with. God, if, if you will just tell that person on the right-hand side of the sanctuary, third row, second seat, that, alright, I have my eyes closed. Alright, good, there's, there's nobody in that seat. Good. But God, if you'll just change that person's heart, I'm willing, if, they, if they're willing, and God, just, just why are you not working? God, do you hear me? You said you would never leave us or forsake us. Why? And because a lot of time has passed which to us seems like a long time. To an eternal God, it seems like a flash in the pan. Don't we sometimes end up with our finger pointed at God saying, Why haven't you? Abram's faith is at the breaking point. The father of the faithful is about ready to not be. But look what happens. We see Abram's faith but we also see Abram's assurance. And Abram is going to get assurance from three places. First, he's going to get assurance from God's Word. Look what happens in verse 4. Then the Word of the Lord came to him. Well, that's funny. Look look what happened in verse 1. Hold on a second. In verse 1 it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. The author repeats himself that it's the word that comes to Abram. Why is that a big deal? Well, partially the reason that it's a big deal is that during those bad circumstances, during that long period of time where God didn't give Abram the son, do you know what happened? At one point, Abram probably builds an altar, calls on the name of the Lord, and guess what happens? Not a thing. No answer. But now, when Abram's faith is at a breaking point, when it's in crisis, it's God's Word that brings him assurance. And look at the Word that he gives. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body 
will be your heir. It's the same promise. Nothing has changed. God hasn't changed. His plan for Abram has not changed. Although through the circumstances and the passage of time to Abram, it maybe looks like it has. But for God, it hasn't. God's promise, His word, is good. And Christian, for you today, if you're sitting here and circumstances and time are eroding your faith, they're wearing your faith thin, thin, your faith is at the breaking point. Know that in God's Word, you can find assurance that God has a plan for you. And it's a plan for your good. It's a plan that ultimately ends up in eternal victory and eternal joy and eternal happiness for you. But here's the issue with assurance from God's Word. In order to get assurance from God's Word, Abram had to be listening, didn't he? In order for us to get assurance from God's Word, we have to be listening. And, and, and for us, listening doesn't mean audibly listening. God, God doesn't speak in this way anymore. He speaks through His Holy Spirit, but He doesn't audibly speak anymore since the closing of the canon of Scripture. But in Scripture, we have the fullness of God's Word. In it, we can find uh, the commands and the rule of the day that we are to live by. In it, uh, we can find that God loves us, that He does not forsake us. In it, we can see the example of Old Testament and New Testament saints who have lived this life of faith before us and see the struggles that they had that were very real, but see also that God saw them through it. That is, if we're listening, and listening for us, means opening and studying and reading and knowing. So Abram got assurance from God's Word. But he also got assurance from God's promise. Look what happens in verse 5 and 6. Look at this. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, a quick aside because this is going to be important later in the story. Uh, very often you'll hear people say, well how were, and even Christians will wonder, how were people in the Old Testament saved as opposed to how we were saved in the New Test, as New Testament believers? How were people in the Old Testament saved? Can I tell you something? That's a trick question. They were saved the exact same way. Alright? By putting their faith and trust in the work of the person of the Messiah. Now, you say, well, Stephen, wait a minute. I have yet to see Jesus in this. Stick with me. Alright? But look at verse 7. God's not done. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. By the way, one way that we can reassure our faith when looking at God's promises is to see the promises that He has already kept. To give you this land and to take possession of it. Now wait a minute. There's an in- wait, wait, hold on a second. Where in the book of Genesis does Abram take possession of the land? Can you find it? Art fact-checking church member, I know you're out there. I know you're working on it. You're trying to catch me. Abram himself never does. Abram gets like a small little two-acre lot of it, basically. But he never takes possession of the whole land. Why? 
Because this promise God gave wasn't just for Abraham. It was for Abraham to live by. It was for Abraham to hope in. But it was ultimately going to be fulfilled in future generations. And by the way, very often that's how God's promises to us work. Many of them won't be fulfilled until eternity. But they will be fulfilled. But let me ask you something. Even for, even for a, a, a promise that will be fulfilled in time. Older church member, let me talk to you for a minute. Are you willing to trust in, put your faith in, and work for a promise that is for a future generation of believers? Let me tell you what I mean. Are you willing to set aside sometimes your comfort in order to serve in a way that will grow the church and that will bring new people in and will help the lost hear the gospel? Are we willing, older church members, to to set aside our opinion on maybe how people should dress and and what the music should sound like and, you know, what color someone's hair should be or, I hope I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to, what color their skin should be if they're going to be in this church? Are we willing to put that aside because we know that God's promise for us is that He will never leave us or forsake us as we go to take the gospel to all the nations? Matthew 28, 18-20. Are we willing to believe in, trust, and work for a promise whose benefit is not necessarily for us? Abraham was. So Abram gets assurance in God's word. He gets assurance in God's promise. Lastly, we're going to see he gets assurance in God's covenant. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Verse 8, But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now this seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Because we just heard that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But, now Abram comes to God and says, God, how can I know? But look at the emphasis. It's the emphasis here that's different. And a minute ago, Abraham believed God. And now who is Abraham pointing at? God, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? God, how can I know that I won't mess this up? God, I don't know if you missed my whole time in Egypt, but um, I'm capable of some pretty stupid things. Stupid with a capital S. God, what if I can't hold up my end of this? But God has an answer for Abram's doubt. Look what happens. So, in verse 9, So the Lord said to him, Well, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Well, Stephen, that went places. With the killing of animals and cutting them in half, what what is going on here? Well, what is happening here? And Abram would have understood this. God is preparing for him and Abraham to make 
a covenant. To strike a covenant is how they would have said it uh, in those days. Uh, to give you an idea of how this works, uh, think of a covenant as an ancient Middle Eastern contract. Okay, uh, Think of it this way. Why do we make contracts? It's so that each party in an agreement is held to the agreement, right? For example, when one of us goes to buy a house... We sign a little piece of paper, we call it a mortgage, but we sign a little piece of paper with a representative from a bank who uh, the agreement says we will make X amount of payments for X amount of years and at the end of those years we will have ownership of the house and the bank basically agrees we will let you live in the house while you are making the payments. And why do you sign that contract? Why do you make that agreement? On paper. It's so that at the end of your 15 year mortgage, you don't go and say, okay, I have made every last payment I'm supposed to. I've held up my end. I want my house. I want my note. And the bank doesn't say, well, you know, we've thought about it. We gave you a really good deal. And we've decided you really probably owe us more money. So if you could make another four years of payments, that would be great for us. Okay. Well, what are you going to do? Oh, no, 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 no. You see this? This is the mortgage. This is the contract. We both signed it, and it says the house is mine. And you use that contract to hold that other party to your agreement, correct? And it even says what happens if one of you breaks that agreement, right? If you don't make the payments, they foreclose. If they don't give you the house, you take them to the court, you sue them, and you end up owning a small bank. That's what a covenant does. It lays out the terms of the agreement, it identifies the parties involved, and it sets the consequences of what happens if either side breaks their end of the agreement. So here's what it looks like, and I'm, don't worry, I'm not getting charismatic with you, I'm just coming down, alright? What Abram would have done is he would have taken these animals, all clean animals, all animals that are acceptable sacrifices... He would have killed each one of them, and then the large animals, not the birds, but the large animals, he would have cut in half, laid half over here, and laid half over here, so that as they died, and as their blood ran, it would run into this little kind of ditch in between, creating a literal river of blood. Alright? And I know this sounds intense, but just you'll, you'll get it in a minute. And so what would happen is you would then state, this is what we are agreeing to. This is my end, this is your end. And the two people, men, uh, I'm sorry ladies, it was the Middle East 4,000 years ago, it's just how it was. The men who were making this agreement would then walk through that river of blood. I know it sounds crazy, this is the Old Testament, just go with me. And they would be signifying, as the blood splashed onto their feet and onto their clothes, they were signifying, may this happen to me. May my blood be shed, may my life be given, if I don't hold up my end of the contract. Pretty serious, right? But look what happens. Look what happens. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, that they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. 
In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That's the agreement. That is the agreement. Abraham, you won't live to see it. There's that idea of a promise for a future generation. But I promise your descendants, though they will one day be slaves, I will bring them out of slavery, I'll bring them back to this land, and they will possess it. That's the terms of this covenant, Abraham. And then look what happens. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. Now, now what is this, this fire pot and this torch? Uh, we're, we're not sure exactly what that would have looked like, but the language that's used here in the original Hebrew is the same language that is used to describe God's presence when it came down on top of Mount Sinai when the people of Israel were there. What this, this, this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch are, it's God's presence. God Himself coming down to make this covenant with Abraham. And look what happens. The fire pot and the blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. While Abraham is asleep. And look what happens. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I will give this land from the river Euphrates, or from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. What happens? God makes a covenant with Abram. Abram doesn't make a covenant with God. God alone passes through the pieces. And by the way, this would have blown the minds of an ancient reader because in the ancient world, a king, let alone a god, never entered into a covenant in this way. A king always sat on his throne while the servant or whoever else walked through the blood because it was just understood that a king was going to hold up his end. But in this instance, God Himself comes down and while the servant is sleeping, while the servant is helpless to uphold His end of the covenant or to even enter into the covenant, God Himself passes through the river of blood to symbolize to Abram, Abram, not only am I going to uphold my end of this covenant, but Abram, if for whatever reason you fail, you falter, your faith wanes again, I will shed my blood, I will give my life to hold up your end of this covenant. That was God's covenant with Abram. But it brings up a question. How is God, who is spirit, going to shed His blood? How can God who is by His very nature eternal, going to give His life? Well, you see, if you were here that Sunday night, you know, this is what leads us to Genesis 22, when God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God is explaining to Abram, Abraham, this is how it's going to work. This is how the covenant will be upheld. A loving father will sacrifice his only but willing son to cover your sin. Did you know God made this covenant with Abram knowing that in the next chapter, literally the next chapter, is when Hagar and Ishmael arrive on the scene. And Abraham completely blows it a chapter later. And yet God in His love, in His grace, in His mercy, and in His justice, says, Abram, I'll pay for that in my blood. 
And I'm going to do it because a willing son, God the Son, is going to leave heaven, come to earth, and a loving father is going to inflict a sacrifice for sin on his only son. What God is giving Abram to assure his faith, to confirm his faith, to put aside all of his doubts about whether Abram can trust God or not, is he gives him the gospel. Because God was going to put on flesh that could bleed. He was going to live a perfect life that could be taken from him if he was willing to give it up in order to uphold his covenant with Abram, but also to usher in a new covenant. Not just for Abram, not just for Abram's descendants, but for anyone who would believe in him. It's the gospel that God gave Abram to believe in, and it is belief in the gospel, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that, was, that gave Abraham righteousness. It was his trust in that work that gave him righteousness. And it is because he was completely and totally trusting in that work, in the gospel, that Abraham, when God called him to do something crazy from this point out, is saying, God, I'm here, let's do it. That was the power of the gospel. To take an old man who had seen too much of life and too much of the world, who was too beat down to keep believing, God, with the promise of the gospel, turned him into the father of the faithful who was willing to sacrifice his one and only son seven chapters later. And today, if you're here and you've never responded to the gospel message, that God put on flesh that would bleed for you, that God lived the life you chose not to live in your place for you so that He could then give that life up on the cross, a perfect sacrifice, upholding once again, not only God's covenant with Abraham, but upholding God's mercy and God's justice all at once so that you may respond to Him in faith as He lives eternally seated at the right hand of the Father and so that you may experience that eternity as well. Not seated at the right hand of the Father. No, that, that seat's given away but spent forever praising Jesus, who was the fulfillment of every promise God ever made to Abram, and really every promise God ever made in the Bible. Today, you, like Abraham, can put your faith in that and have it credited to you as righteousness. Because Jesus has already taken your sin upon Himself at the cross, and He's waiting to give you His righteousness, His good enough, if you'll put your faith and trust in Him. Christian, if you've already accepted the gospel, let me ask you, What's weighing on your faith today? Is it circumstances? Are things in the life in life and things of this world not going the way you need them to or the way you thought they would? Has time passed and maybe you haven't heard a clear word from God in a while? Can I tell you, it's when you look to the gospel and how far God went just to get into a relationship with you or rather to get you back into relationship with Him that you, like Abraham, can believe in whatever thing God calls you to do, you can do without hesitation, uh, without a second thought, because you know what it is God did for you in Jesus. Let's pray together.